We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Hebrews 12, chapter 12. It's amazing, amazing. As the song said, he's calling us all by name. If you're here, you didn't come on your own. The Lord's calling you. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody find it? Amen. Reason why Hebrews, reason why a whole chapter. It's been speaking a lot to me in my life lately. So I figure what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? I'm full of these old sayings that my dad used to give me. I'm sorry. But that's the way I talk sometimes. Um, Hebrews, as the word, the name of the book, the title of the book indicates, it's a book written by an author. We don't know who. A lot of us assume that it was Paul. And just the love and concerning way in which it's written, it might be Paul. I don't know. But the truth is that whoever wrote it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He wrote it out of a heart of great, great concern for a people. And as the title indicates, the Hebrews, the Jewish Christians, new people in the faith. You know what was going on with these people? They were discouraged. They were stumbling. They were freaking out. Why? If they just met Christ. Well, it's an easy thing to fall from the truth and fall back into religion back into tradition, back into your culture. Okay? I was once told by a four-year-old girl, a niece of mine, I called her, you funny little Mexican. (laughs) And she looked at me and she said, Tio, I'm not Mexican, I'm Christian. (laughs) And she captured the whole message in one phrase. That's what these Hebrews needed to remember. It wasn't about going back to the old traditions and the old rituals and the old purifying rites and keeping the Sabbath. It was about giving honor to the Lord who had saved them. But discouragement does come. And what's easy to do? It's easy to fall back into our old customs. They kind of had hybridized the Christian faith. They were living, living as Christians and Jews at the same time. And this brother saw that. So he spends the first 10 chapters of Hebrews telling them, no, 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 you have so much of a better thing now. Let me tell you, he says, Jesus Christ is so much greater than the old system. Jesus is so much greater than your old leaders. He's even greater than Moses. Okay? The new covenant is so much better. It's not about keeping the law perfectly. It's about studying the law and helping us guide us. But it's about understanding that when we can't complete the law and keep all the rules, we have the grace of God. Amen? It's about a true sacrifice now. It's about Jesus who died on the cross once and forever. His blood He's the true Lamb of God. His blood is the one that cleanses us of our sins and gives us new life. You don't have to come before God with a high priest, with a man. A man at best is what? Only a man. He's like you and me. doesn't matter how many titles he has. He's sinful in his heart. So when that high priest went in before God, he had to kill an animal, sacrifice for himself and for the sins of the people as well. But when Jesus died on the cross... It was once and for all. No more sacrifices. If you're a Christian and you know God, and if you don't, now's the time. Start that relationship. Come before God. Repent of your sins and accept that gift. And you'll be able to come before the Father, God Almighty, creator of the universe, me? I can be before him? Because, why? When Jesus Christ died on the cross... Something significant happened. Something symbolic happened. 
In the, in the temple, there was a curtain between the sanctuary and the Holy of Holies. When he died, that curtain tore from top to bottom, signifying that now we have entrance. All of us who are washed by God's blood, all of us who understand that we can't live life on our own strength and have given our lives to a Savior, we know we can come before God Almighty. God Almighty? Who's that? The awesome one, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who has a hand on you at this moment, the one who's telling you, Mijo, mija, I love you so much. Understand that love. I gave my only begotten son for you. So he spends 10 chapters telling him how, so how much better Christ and the new covenant and new promise is than the old one. Then to, then to top it off in chapter 10, he says, it's by faith. It's about what you believe. And he gives a list, a hall of fame, if you like, of people who believed what he said. Right? He was so pleased with Enoch and the fact that he believed everything that he said and that he walked with him and he took him up without ever letting him die. He gave Abraham the faith to believe that even though he was taking his only begotten son, Isaac, to Mount Moriah to crucify him, not to crucify him, but to sacrifice him, he knew that the Lord would provide. What's the significance of that? Well, he had been given a promise. He said to Abraham, to Isaac, you guys are going to have descendants upon descendants, like the sand on the seashore, like the, like the, the stars in the sky. But Abraham, knowing that promise, he still took his only begotten son to sacrifice him, knowing why? Because he knew that the one that promised was faithful, and that was God. The author goes on to tell them, think about Moses. The fact that he came before a sea as he was being chased after they left Egypt, he stuck between the sea and the Pharaoh and his soldiers. And he comes to the sea and he says, Lord, what am I going to do? He says, extend your staff above the waters and you'll have dry land to go through. He believed and others who have martyred, been martyred, given their lives for the faith because they believed, because they took God's faith and they, they were convicted. They trusted. So he comes to these Hebrews and he says, you're discouraged? I'm giving you guys all these examples. I've told you how, so how, much, how much better Christ is than the old pact. How much better grace is than the law and the rules. And that brings us to chapter 12. Amen? So he's writing to these discouraged people. Why do you think they might have been discouraged? They might have been ostracized, exiled, been cut away from their communities. Here in this country, up until now, we haven't ostracized to that point. We haven't been cut off from our communities or our families for believing in Christ. Not yet, anyway. I know a man, a great man in the Lord. Uh, he was my father-in-law. He passed away a few years ago. But I have testimony of him and people who have told me about him. He had a faith that didn't fluctuate. And he was ostracized to the point of physical injury. In the early 50s, it was a hard thing to become a Christian in Mexico, to proclaim the gospel, to follow Christ as the only Lord and Savior. He was literally stoned and chased from his village for proclaiming these things. And what did that create in his heart? Not bitterness, not discouragement, but more fervor. Ask me about it. He would preach to me till he was blue in the face. He, would, he was an old-time preacher, turn or burn. And usually I turned. <laughs> He'd come one, in one door and I'd leave the other. And I was just, but his prayers, his prayers, his insistence. And you see the fruits all over our family of people who come, literally hundreds. He wasn't a good preacher, but he prayed. He testified. 
and the Lord's good. So you think about discouragement. You say, wow, maybe I just haven't grasped the whole entirety, the whole truth. And that's what concerned this author of this book of Hebrews. He says, man, my, my family, my relatives, they need to know the truth. They need to be encouraged. They need to be empowered, not by some human motivation, but by the truth. Amen? Chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. These first couple of verses um, often are used to teach us that uh, we should watch our walk, that we're an example. And that's true. But primarily what it's telling these Hebrews is that they've had an example in all these people I named before, in Abraham, in Moses, in Enoch, in Sarah, he says, you guys have a cloud of witnesses. What do witnesses do? They give testimony, right? With their lives and their faith, they were giving testimony of what the Lord was doing in their, in, their, in their hearts and in their lives. So these discouraged people are hearing this exhortation from the author. And he's telling them, keep in mind, you can do it. Other people have done it. Just believe. And that's all it is. Just believe. Okay? Just believe. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. What's laying aside every weight? How many of you guys ever go backpacking or, or hiking? Anybody? Oh, a lot of out-of-shape people in this church. <laughs> Either that or you're shy. But when you go backpacking or you take a three-day hike or you go, you know, camping for a few days, you carry only what's necessary. Any additional weight does what? Slows you down and tires you out. That's what it's talking about here. It's not talking necessarily about things that are good and bad. Can we do things that are not good and bad just a little too much? I'll give you an example. A hobby. Right? Work. Is that bad in of in itself? No. A hobby isn't bad either. Right? But let me tell you this. If you're a fisherman who feels the need to go fishing every day at 4 o'clock in the morning prior to work, you know what's going on there? You're addicted. And that's, that's a weight you need to set aside. Because it's keeping you from walking your walk. It's keeping you from praying. It's keeping you from having your devotions in the morning. It's keeping you from having communion with the Lord. There are other things. I mean, workaholics. Those extra three hours, let me tell you this, those extra three hours that you put in at work, they go down the tube with their taxes, so what's going on, guys? Right? We need to prioritize and leave things that aren't necessarily bad to one side so we can do what's important. Follow the Lord. Cultivate my relationship with the Lord, with my wife and my kids. Right? It was once said, or it's been said many times, that someone who's on a deathbed is never going to say, how come I didn't spend more hours fishing? How come I didn't spend more time at the office? They're going to say, why didn't I spend more time with my wife? Why didn't I spend more time with my God? Amen? So set those things aside. There are some things that are neither good or bad, but we can limit them, right? Go fishing once every month. What's this once a day stuff, Right? Just an example. I'm not attacking fishermen. (laughs) Let us lay aside every weight. He's giving them instructions. He's giving them advice. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. What would that kind of sin be? It's the kind of sin you know you have trouble with. Right? It's the kind of thing that reaches up and grabs you by the foot and pulls you down every time. 
I used this example earlier because it's something I learned from my dad again. He used to tell me that a horse never stumbles over the same rock twice. But as people, we sure do. Don't we commit the sin, same sin over and over and over? That's the, that's the sin that snares us. That's the thing that, keeps, that makes us stumble, that brings us down. Those are the things we need to put up to the Lord and say, Lord, this one I can't handle. Help me, please. Right? Might be so many different things. I mean, people always mention porn and drug addiction. I mean, it might be something simpler than that. But you have to put it unto the Lord. And don't let it bring you down. Don't let it trap you. That's what it means to ensnare. You guys know what a snare is? Just a little piece of rope or wire that's adjusted with a loop in it. And it's put somewhere where an animal is going by. And if an animal puts its neck through there, guess what? It becomes a noose. And you're trapped. We've got to get rid of those sins that trap us all the time. We have to ask the Lord for guidance and help in that. Always asking for forgiveness. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, I forgot to tell you, first service I was limited on my time. Henry said I could take as long as I want on this one. So... Run the race with endurance. What is that? Stamina, perseverance, patience. It's not the kind of stamina and perseverance and patience you show by sitting still. Not at all. It's the kind of endurance and stamina you show by always walking forward in God's strength. I mean, whether it's one inch, one step, or three steps forward, always make it forward. And when you feel as though you're being burdened, get rid of some of that extra weight. And when you need endurance, come before the Lord and say, Father, I can't do it without you. I can't do it without you. Endurance. Why? Because the victory is already ours. But that crown... It's such a precious crown. It's an eternal crown. It's an eternal reward, right? I, I was a fairly decent athlete growing up. I remember I was 14 years old, and I was running track for my eighth grade school. And uh, it was just a practice run, right? I was running run the mile. I exaggerated the first service. I thought it was something like 18 miles or something. <laughs> But it wasn't that. It was only a mile run. And the coaches are yelling at me, saying, go, 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 encouraging me, right? Have the endurance. Have the endurance. Go, go, Barrios, go. He even called me mijo. That's how much he wanted me to run, right? And guess what? I broke the school record in the mile. Pretty awesome, right? Five minutes and 15 seconds. For a 14-year-old kid, that was pretty good. But guess what? After the race, I was barfing up a storm. I was dizzy. I was fainting. Everything. All because some man encouraged me. Okay? All because some man encouraged me. His name was Stanley Yamada. He was Hawaiian and he was calling me mijo. Funniest guy. But... I stopped after that race, and I said, wow, I did it. Two days later, someone beat my record by 15 seconds. I said, oh, Lord, never again. Not for a prize that goes away, but the prize we have, it endures. That's why we should have endurance. It's it's something forever. Heaven, for God's sake. It's heaven. That's why we should have endurance, right? Not for a perishable thing but for that which is spiritual and real forever. Amen? And how do we do this? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Don't be fooled. This faith you have, this salvation, you had nothing to do with it. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
Okay? If you want to argue with me about the fact that it's through Christ alone, you can talk to me later, but I'm telling you that's what it is. It's through Christ alone. Amen? He is the author and finisher of our faith. He started in us, and he's going to finish it in us. We just need to submit. We just need to follow his example. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Right? We have a lot of human mentors, right? A lot of people who set a good example. But they fail. I mean, I can walk out this room and have a fight with my wife five minutes after giving a a study. Because I fail. I'm weak. I remember when I first came to the Lord... It's going for a long one now, guys. I'm sorry. When I came to the Lord, I was in love with Christ. I just loved, 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 loved my Jesus. Pastor looked at me kind of wisely, I think, and he said, you know what, Mark? You love Jesus, don't you? I sure do, I sure do. He says, brother, let me tell you one thing. You love your brother, your brother, and you love your, your Christian family? He says, yeah. He says, that's good. But let me tell you something. The only faithful one is Christ. He says, keep your eyes on the Lord, because men, people, your brethren will let you down. Now, do I say this to make you sad? No. It's just the blunt truth. We're people. Forgive us. We're weak. Three, three years later, I remembered what he had told me. Keep your eyes on Christ. Not something I often confess, but in that church, his wife committed adultery with his best friend. Does that tear down Christ? No, it tears down people, people who aren't looking at Jesus. That's why he told me. He knew one day that could happen to me. But he didn't know one day it was going to happen to him. So keep your eyes on Christ. Finish the race. He's the author and finisher of our race. He's the one that gives us the faith. Look towards Christ. These Christian brethren, these Jewish brethren, are receiving the lessons of their life. And, and, I, and we pray that they listen and we pray that we listen. Looking into Jesus, that's only two verses, guys, I'm sorry. Looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for by the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus looking unto what? What did he look unto? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising and sat down at the right hand of the Father, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he was looking at a joy. Was it the joy of the cross? Was that going to be a fun time hanging there? No. He was looking past that. What was he looking at? He was looking at Anthony. He was looking at Patrick and Gina. He was looking at my kids. He was seeing the fruits of his death. He was seeing the people that were going to get into heaven because of his gift to the world. So he endured the shame. Why was it shame? Because a cross was reserved for criminals. What kind of criminals? Only the most heinous crimes were punished by death on the cross. He was treated like dirt. I was going to use a stronger word, but I won't. For our benefits. And he saw. He saw what that would bring. And he endured you don't know what the fruits of your life can be. Just endure. That salvation is yours. But that endurance that you show will bring your family, will bring your kids. What's more important than that? We all want our kids to be men and women of respect, have the right job in the right city, in the right neighborhood, with their kids going to the right school. That's beautiful. And I fight for that. But it's nothing. Because that's now. It's perishable. You want something great for your family? Guide them to Jesus. Guide them to Christ. 
Amen. And what's so cool about this? And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, let's, as a reminder, as a reminder, the old law, the old testament, the old covenant, a priest who was just a man had to come into the Holy of Holies, having killed an animal and sprinkled, because that's what was required for the forgiveness of sins, there had to be a sacrifice. But like I said before, he was just a man. He had to kill an animal not only for the people's sins, but for our sins, I mean, for his sins. And if he wasn't right with God, man, he died on the spot. On the spot. But now, we don't have to have that continual sacrifice because the sacrifice is once and forever through Christ. That's why it says that he's at the right hand of the Father. He's at the throne. He's constantly interceding for us. He's constantly coming up to him and saying, Lord, you know Desiree? I died for her. Right? Raymond? Rapper Ray? You remember him? I died for him. And that's a constant thing. He doesn't have to come and die for each person. He's died for all of us if we just accept it. Thank you, Jesus. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Who is him that endured such hostility? Christ, Jesus. What kind of hostility? Scoffing? Ridicule? Being spit in the face? Being slapped in the face? Having his beard pulled and yanked from his face? Being ridiculed? Is there anything that hurts more than someone just looking at you and laughing at you in disgust? Dying on the cross? It goes on to say, have we resisted to the point of bloodshed? Here in America, how many of you guys have been whipped for being Christian? How many of you have been fired for being Christian? It's getting to that point. And he's telling these people who quite possibly might have a legitimate beef. Because maybe they have been exiled. Maybe they have been um, subjected to ridicule from their, from their families. But they haven't yet given their lives as the martyrs have. Right? So he's encouraging them. He says, you know, come on. Come on, guys. Shape up. Verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of your Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. He's saying, and don't make light of this. If you're going through troubles, remember, you're, you're a son or daughter of God. And maybe what you think is bad luck or just tough life is the fact that the Lord is disciplining you. The fact that he's molding you. He's putting you through the fire, making you strong. Okay? It could be. It could be. I, I have a hobby. Uh, I love knives. and I'm learning how to make knives. So I, I've, I've learned that you've got to harden a knife and you have to temper a knife. And how do you do that? Through fire, through open flame, and through baking in the furnace. And sometimes when you're feeling the heat, say, wow, the Lord must be working in me. And look towards that. Ask him for the answer. He'll give it to you. But be patient. Be patient. If you're a son or daughter, you're going to be disciplined. You're going to be disciplined. Verse 7. If you endure chastening... God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Wow. Wow. 
What son is there whom a father does not chasten? Only a son that's not a son. Right? If you feel like all this is bad luck and it has nothing to do with God, well, you know what? Stop and think. Stop and think. Do I know God? Is he my Lord and Savior? A father only chastens his own kids. Believe me, my, my boys growing up had friends who I wish I could have chastened, but I didn't dare because they weren't mine. But you can ask them <laughs> if I chastened them. It's just a matter of life, a matter of fact. If you're a father, you're going to look after your kids, you're going to point them on a straight and narrow. Amen? So if you're not, you might quite possibly be in a church and be, this is hard to say, but illegitimate and not a son. Did you know that there's hundreds and thousands of people who go to church every Sunday and still haven't met the Lord? It's become a tradition. What's the early teaching? They fall back into the tradition. They feel like this is a cool place to be. The people are nice. I love their style. I love their music. But have you come to the Lord and... And just made everything plain before him and said, Lord, I need you. I can't do it on my own. That's a personal decision. (laughs) Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us and seemed best as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Okay, a lot of us have had good dads. A lot of us would say we don't have, we didn't have a good dad, but we all have an idea of what a good dad is. And a good dad does his best with what he knows and what he has at his disposal. He tries to raise his kids, tries to correct them. And once in a while, he chastens them. Who doesn't know what chasten means? Chasten, chastened, right? <laughs> right? Um, and yet, we know in our hearts of hearts that they were doing their best, and we, we respect them for that. My dad... I mean, he was hard. He was hard, but I never met a better man in my life. He smacked me pretty hard sometimes. And um, I still say to this day that I haven't met a, a, a man like Jack Barrios until now. How much more am I not going to respect my Lord and Savior who has perfect wisdom has my desires and my wants in his mind and has a perfect plan for me. He has his best interest, our best interest in mind. How much more are we not going to respect the Lord and Savior of our lives for disciplining us? Man, if we can respect our dad, who was a mess up sometimes, how much more can we respect God who's perfect in wisdom? Amen? Now, verse 11, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful nevertheless. (laughs) Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit or the righteousness to those who have been trained by it. How many of you guys enjoyed being chastened (laughs) or smacked on the butt? I don't know about you guys, but I can only tell you what the experience was with with my dad. My dad used a belt, okay, on my rump. He never hit me or smacked me in the face, but he, he, he took care of business. He had a strong and sturdy hand, if you know what I mean, okay? Was I enjoying it while it happened? Heck no. But ask me now what I think of him. Ask me now the results, it may not have gotten me into the kingdom of heaven, but it got me straight with the law. 
I never stole. I never chewed tobacco. Right? Or went with girls who did. <laughs> so he, he kind of had a, a good hand in my life. And that's the Lord. When he's chastening us, when he's, you know, giving us a good whipping, it hurts. And our pride is hurt. And we say, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? Don't you love me? He loves you. That's why he's allowing it to happen. That's why he's punishing you. That's why he's disciplining you. You're his son and daughter. So it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily feel good, does it? But at the end, it produces tremendous fruit. It's going to make you live the straight and narrow. It's peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have trained by it. So we've got to be subjected to it and trained by it. Understand. Verse 12. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. This guy is, I don't know if he had military training or what, but he's basically saying one thing. Suck it up and run the race. Be strong in the Lord. That's what he's saying there. Walk a straight path. Keep going. Push through it. He's encouraging. The biblical word is what? Exhorting. Right? He's a, he's, he's, Got to be a coach or something, a military commander. Because he's basically a raw rock type of guy. He's saying, you know what? Walk a straight path. Because there are many that come behind you, and you're not going to want to cause them to stumble. Right? Walk that, walk that path. I know you guys are hurt and feeling sad and sorry for yourselves, but let's get going. Verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Okay, this is interesting. He's encouraging people, and he's telling them this. He's giving them all the evidence. And all of a sudden, it's a civics lesson on Christian etiquette, on how to live your Christian life. Didn't we have Romans for that? Yeah, we did. Book of Romans, it tells you how to live as a Christian. You want to see a, a starter's manual on how to become a Christian or how to live as a Christian corrected? Read Romans. But why is he telling them now how to live and what to do? Think about. Think about people who are discouraged. What's the first thing that goes if you're discouraged? Your attitude. It goes down the drain, right? If you talk to someone discouraged, what's the first thing to say? What for? It doesn't matter. It makes no difference. Why should I be nice to him? It don't. Man, that's a, that's a result of discouragement. So he's trying his best to get him back on the other side into a different mode. So he says, therefore strengthen... Okay, I'm sorry. 14. Pursue peace with all people. What does uh, the Bible say about pursuing peace? If you guys will go to the book of Romans, like I said, chapter 12, verse 18, it says, to the extent, in the way that it is possible for you, as much as you can, as much as depends on you, I'm paraphrasing it, guys, be at peace with everyone. I wasn't going to say this, but what did Rodney King say? Why can't we all get along? Right? Bad, bad <laughs> time, correct saying. Right? As Christians, how much does it depend on us to get along with other people? There's a large amount on us, large amount of responsibility, because we know the truth. You know, we have the light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? We have the truth of God. I can't expect my coworker who doesn't know Christ to be kind and respectable to me. I got to first show him how that's done. 
So he can see that the one that's in me is stronger than he that's in the world. Amen? That's why the civics lesson here. That's why the etiquette. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. What do we know about holiness? It's being set aside for the, for the Lord, right? It's being set aside from the things of the world. When I say the things of the world, those things which aren't good. From sin. From preoccupation of oneself. From preoccupation of worldly things. So why is it then? Why pursue holiness? Because whenever we come, not only here, but in a personal prayer location, closet, place, what do we need to do before we even speak with God? We all know the answer, right? Ask for forgiveness. Ask Him to forgive us for the sins of that moment and of that day of that week. Because we still mess up, right? We're still only men and women. We're still in the flesh. So to be in the presence of a holy Lord, a holy God, what do we need? Holiness. Okay, we need to be on the same wavelength with God, with our Father. Without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Okay, we already have the grace of God, but what's he talking about when he says falling short of the grace of God? We have to have an assumption here. Okay, if I'm in the grace of God, if I've been saved, in Philippians 2.12 it says to work out my salvation. Does that mean to work on getting my salvation? No, it means to live in the place where I am. If I'm saved, if I have the grace of God, to live like a person who knows God. There's nothing worse than a hypocrite. And all, at, all, at one time or another, we all are. Right? But he's saying live in a way that you don't fall short of that grace. Right? I often use the example of being selected for uh, an all-star team. Of being selected for um, the dream team, per se, if you guys are basketball fans or basketball players. We all know good and well, there's not one of us in here that can play up to that par, right? Up to that level. But say the coach comes and says, you know what, Mark, I want you on the team. Right? I want you on the team. And you say, but I don't deserve to be on the team. No, but I want you on the team. Okay. So he puts you on the team. What, what's going to be your desire? To somehow try and perform at least up to that level. You know you're going to fall short, but you're going to try your best. That's what he's saying here. Don't fall short of the grace. Get on with your life. Live as you should. Lest any root of bitterness bringing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Bitterness bringing up. That continues to speak to the fact that we need to get along. How is bitterness created? It might be by the simplest things sometimes, right? It might be by the simplest things. I might be walking by Alice in the hallway, and I'll say hi, and for some reason she doesn't say hi. Right? And I say, what's wrong with that chick? You know? <laughs> right? What's her problem? And if I don't go and talk to her and, and, and find out that it's the mere fact that she had something in her mind and she didn't see me, I'll start getting this seed of bitterness, this root of bitterness. And man, that's awful. Because a root of bitterness produces bitter fruit. And the bad thing is, we aren't fortunate enough to limit it to just us. That lousy attitude spreads throughout. And it can spread through the, to all the disciples. So we've got to get rid of that fruit of bitterness. Right? If I didn't tell you what I just, the story I just told you is, is a made-up fictional story, you'd say, man, after a while you start thinking, Alice is mean. No, it's, it was just made up. Okay, guys? <laughs> so let's not let roots of bitterness 
affixed to our hearts. Verse 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, for who one for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently. Okay, birthright. Okay. Birthright. I have two of my boys here. Oh, all three of my boys. And two of my girls. Thank you, Jesus. Um, birthright is this. The eldest male in the Jewish family had the right to the inheritance of the father, should the father die. Okay. In this case, it was Esau. And who else? Jacob. Sneaky little Jacob, right? So Esau is out hunting one day, and he comes back into his home, and he's famished. He's starved in his own right, I guess, right? And he smells the soup that, that the more uh, wimpy Jacob had made, right? And he's so starved, and he's so famished, he says, I've got to have some of that soup. It's not even steak, for goodness sake. It's not even beef stew. It's just lentil soup. Okay? And Esau says, I got to have some of that. Nope. I, I'll, I'll give you my birthright for it. What? Yeah, I'll give you my birthright. What's that? What was he giving him? All the inheritance promised to him as the eldest son. Do we give away the most precious things in life? Do we give away our relationship with God for things that are passing by? For small things. Lord, you know, you know i got to work those extra hours because i got to have that four-wheel drive GMC pickup, that big red one on the corner. i got to have that. So I, I can't sit here and, and pray with you today, Lord. i got to go to work. i got to get this. Where am I going to take that truck when I die? <laughs> you see the picture? Things that are temporary. We give up. The Lord's kingdom, the Lord's blessings for that. And he's saying, don't get down on yourselves because you're going to get to the point where you're going to try and satisfy your basic needs now, your satisfaction now, instead of looking towards the future and looking towards eternity. How long is eternity? Forever. How long is forever? Forever. Right? How long is our life compared to eternity? I don't know. Maybe this big? I don't know. But it's short. So he's saying, don't be like that. Don't be sinners. Don't look to satisfy your worldly needs. Look towards the things that are eternal. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Sorry, Charlie, you've made your decision. Right? Talking about earthly things. Thankfully, while we still have breath in our bodies, we can still repent. We can still get that inheritance, which is so much important, more important. Verse 18, guys. I'll read verses 18 through 24. Follow along. <clears throat> it says, speaking to the Christian Jews, making them remember their past. I'll tell you why in a minute. He says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And what was commanded? And if so much as a beast touches a mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Basically what he's saying here, he's saying, you guys remember? Remember the old times? Remember the old law, the old system? Do you guys remember the story of Moses taking the people out of Egypt? And after wandering three months in the, in the desert, you remember when Moses and the people came to Mount Sinai? 
You remember when Moses said, I'm going to go up to the mountain and speak to God because I know he's there, I can feel it trembling? What happened to that mountain? God gave Moses a covenant. He said, this is what you need to go tell the people. I'm going to obey certain things, and need, I'm going to uh, demand certain things, and they need to obey it. Go tell them. So Moses goes down there and he says, okay, the Lord says, if you guys obey and do this, this, and that, you are his chosen people. He will keep you as a nation. He will make you holy priests. And the people said, sure, we'll do that. They agreed right away. Okay? Moses go back, goes back up to the top of Mount Sinai, and God says, so what's up? Said, oh, they agreed, Lord. We want to be your people. We're going to make an agreement to your covenant. This covenant was an agreement in which God said, I'll give this if you do that. Remember that point, okay? So that happened, but then God tells Moses, okay, go down now, tell the people we're all in agreement, but every time you come back up to the mountain, Moses, I'm going to come to you in a cloud of smoke, and I'm going to speak to you from there. You're going to see the mountain tremble, tremble, you're going to see tempest and lightning and thunder and all sorts of things. But keep the people at a distance. Don't let them set foot on this mountain. Not even a beast, not even one of your sheep or goats. Because anyone who sets foot past this boundary will be either stoned or shot through with an arrow. Man, this new pact, it's pretty grievous. It's pretty intense, right? And he's saying, you guys aren't at that mountain anymore. You guys aren't in that agreement anymore where you came to the mountain and you had to tremble out of fear because what was imminent? Death. One wrong move and you die. You got to follow the rules to the T. Right? And if they didn't have faith, did they follow the rules? No. We know that 40 days after they received this covenant, what did they do? They made a golden calf, for goodness sake. Oh, Moses, waiting is it taking too long to come down from the mountain and give us these commandments? So we'll make our own God. And they had a blood fest and orgies and all sorts of disgusting stuff. So is the wrath of God enough to keep people holy? No. We have to be in the grace of God. That's that type of covenant. Then comes this. He's saying, you guys aren't at that point anymore. He says, this is where you are now. Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than things, better things than that of Abel. Wow. This is a different kind of mountain. This is a spiritual city. This is Jerusalem, which is synonymous with Mount Zion. This is where God wants us to worship him. It's a spiritual place. Okay? And who's present there? And who's allowed to come in there? Those that are redeemed. Just men made perfect. The assembly of the whole congregation, the general congregation. It wasn't just Moses who was a mediator. Now, through our mediator, who is Christ, why? He died for us. And remember that curtain came down? Now we have the right to go in before the very presence of God. And look at the populace. Look at the, the inhabitants of this place. It says, the heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels. We're going to be with the angels. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. To God, the judge of all to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of what? The new covenant, and to the blood and sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. You guys see the contrast? A place of beauty, a place of peace, a place of love. Okay? And a place where the blood of Jesus speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. Let me explain that phrase right there. Some people might think that when, when they're talking about the blood of Abel, they're thinking about the blood of Abel that was spilt on the ground. You remember, what did that blood call for after he was killed by his brother Cain? It 
called for vengeance. If we follow this text, it's not speaking of vengeance, it's speaking of grace. So the blood they refer to when they talk about the sacrifice of Abel, or the, I gave it away, the blood of Abel is the sacrifice of Abel that Abel made to the Lord. Okay? He's saying, that sacrifice that pleased me is nothing in comparison. <laughs> it's nothing in comparison to the blood that Christ spilled. Because Christ spilled his own blood. It wasn't the blood of animals. It was the blood that cleansed us forever. Amen? Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. This means God himself. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. He's saying, don't be fooled. You want to come to God? Come on his terms. Because if the people of Israel didn't escape his wrath when they spoke here on earth through Moses, how much more less are you going to escape the wrath of God if you don't accept Christ Jesus as your Savior? If you don't accept his word, okay, being the ultimate sacrifice. whose voice then shook the earth, speaking of God, when he spoke then, he shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. To better understand that, when you guys get a chance, read Second Peter 3.10. But it's basically saying, if back then when God spoke from the mountain, the mountain shook, now when he speaks in the future, it's not going to be just that mountain. It's going to be the whole earth, the constellations, your way of life, the universe. Everything's going to start melting and start shaking. And the only thing that's going to be remained is what? The permanent things, God's kingdom. And what's God's kingdom? The presence of Jesus Christ in your heart. That's what's going to last. That's what's going to make it through all this calamity. Okay? Thank you, Jesus. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, the grace of God, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For God, our God, is a consuming fire. Does God change? No. Come to him on his terms. He's still a consuming fire. He's still, apart from being a gracious, loving God, he's a just and holy God. So if you don't come to him by his terms, he continues to be consuming fire. And as this author encouraged the people, these Hebrew people, I encourage you the same way. Come to the Lord on his terms. Accept his free gift. Don't be religious. Don't go back to that old system, right? Don't be here just because you feel like you're completing some sort of pact. Be here because it's an honor and privilege to become children and daughters of God. Amen? Um, I said this earlier, and that's what he was primarily trying to say to these Jewish Christians, but... Being a Christian, it's not a religion you practice. Okay, guys? It's a life you live. It's who you are. And that's what we need to remember. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much. So much for this privilege, Father. For this honor of being in your presence, Father. Lowly men, Father, in your presence, it's beyond me and beyond our, our own minds. But it is our heart's desire to be in your presence, Father. We just want to thank you for this marvelous day, Father, in which uh, your family has come together to worship you and give you the honor and give you the praise, Father. 
I ask that you work in and amongst your people, Father. Touch hearts, Father. Make us uh, come before you, repentant hearts, knowing what we need, Father, knowing what the answers are and that they exist only in you, Father. Bless each and every person here, Father. Make them know that although you're the great and awesome, powerful God of the universe, you're also each and every one of our personal Father. Just uh, lift them in such a way, Father, that they know that it's beyond words, that it's you and your Holy Spirit that's working within them, Father. Just thank you for this day, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.